Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Austin Vondracek. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Rosewood. And if this is your first Sunday with us or watching us online, however it is that you join us, uh, it's great to have you. Welcome to you. And uh, you picked a good Sunday because we are beginning a new series today that's going to take us through the next couple months together uh, on the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke's perspective of Jesus's life that he wrote and now we have. And uh, You know, if you were to kind of sum up the entire Gospel of Luke, what what Luke is trying to get through to all of us through all of time, both his original readers and to us today, I I think what he would say is, is that the whole story is about Jesus, and Jesus is for everyone. And we're going to look at what that means, that Jesus is for everyone through this series. Uh, There are plenty of stories, plenty of places we can go, but what we're going to be keying in on uh, over the next couple months are the people that Jesus calls as we see what it really means that Jesus is for everyone. And my hope and my prayer for you is that by looking at the way that Jesus calls us, that you're going to get a better understanding of who he is and also find yourself within uh, the story of Jesus. Now, before we we get into it today, just to let you know about something new uh, that we have uh, starting this week. We are starting a a new podcast here uh, at Rosewood. It's called Sunday Leftovers. Because every week there are things that don't make it into the sermon, the, uh, uh, you know, material that we think about and we process, but it's just you know, maybe not quite on topic for what we want to talk about, or we just got to run out of time and we just start slashing stuff to be able to get you out of here by 10.30. And so uh, in the past, those have just gone, just, those have just been deleted. Well, now they're going to have a home. Uh, so this is kind of our new playground. Uh, that we're going to experiment with. Uh, so uh, you can find it on uh, wherever you already have podcasts. Some of you are listening to this on a podcast right now. Uh, this is a separate channel, uh, again, called Sunday Leftovers, and uh, we're just going to play. Yeah, some of it's going to be just a, a monologue. You're going to have to listen to me talk for even, even longer. Uh, other times it'll be a conversation, sometimes an interview, a Q&A. We'll just kind of play it by ear and, and see what we kind of settle into. But uh, the first episode is coming out this week. Every Wednesday they're going to drop. Uh, we're going to do a pilot episode this week. We're going to take next week off. And then we're going to get into, ideally, the routine of every week until I run out of material and just nothing left. I'll, Find a new pastor. Anyway, uh, okay, this week we are looking at uh, the first scene of Jesus calling a, uh, someone to uh, not just listen, but to follow him. And this is from uh, Luke 5, if you want to follow along in your Bible, otherwise everything will be up on the screen as well as we go through. But uh, what, what we see here is Jesus uh, calling someone to be what we now today call one of the 12 uh, disciples, those who, uh, who Jesus 
uh, brought along with him, who dropped everything they had and, and went with him, and uh, who Jesus pours into most and, and is most uh, uh, close uh, close with. And, and these are the people who one day after Jesus is gone become the missional leaders that send the gospel out in all directions from Jerusalem to the uh, north, south, east, and west and eventually make what we have today as a, a gospel that is present in every country in the world. Now, so basically what, what Jesus is doing here uh, is he's beginning to draft his dream team. Uh, he's bringing together all of the people who are going to go with him. And I wonder if, if you were Jesus in that position uh, and looking to get the message out to everyone, what kind of team would you draft? You know, who would you want to uh, be with you? Uh, chances are you'd be thinking about spiritual superstars, right? You're not just looking for like up-and-comers. You're pr- looking for people who are already there. The best of the best. If you could ask anybody and know that they would say yes, what kind of people would you choose? I mean, you probably, you're looking for, for one, it's, you know, spiritual leaders. Uh, you're looking for people who uh, are probably, you know, have a good reputation so that they have the most influence within their communities. Uh, maybe you're looking for a couple wealthy people to go along with you to kind of bankroll the whole expedition. Uh, you might be looking for some systematic thinkers to keep you organized. And I don't know, it's, it's you know, 2022. Maybe it's like a, you have a marketing expert with you just for kind of good measure to, to make sure everything looks good. I don't know, but you would, regardless of who you brought, you'd bring the best. Jesus didn't. He didn't choose the cream of the crop when he was calling people to follow him. Now, sometimes I think people take this a little too far, and they make the disciples out to be like these dumb hicks that Jesus comes along with. That is not true. That's not true. I mean, for instance, uh, uh, Levi, who uh, we're going to look at next week. Actually, Pastor Jim, the the pastor who preceded me here at Rosewood, will be here next week, and he'll be looking at Jesus' calling of Levi. And Levi was, uh, from from what we can tell, he was most likely wealthy and and, uh, and had a, a... was influential within the community. Uh, Nathaniel was someone who was highly educated. You would not, you, he was very intelligent. Uh, now, many of them were fishermen, uh, but that doesn't make them unintelligent. As a whole, though, we can say that the disciples were untrained and inexperienced in everything that Jesus would call them to do. They weren't dumb. Neither are you. But they were, up to that point, unprepared for what Jesus would call them to do, which may also be you. So, we're going to be reading from Luke 5, and uh, Luke 5, uh, uh, verse 1 through verse 11. I'm going to go ahead and start right at the beginning. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, this is the Sea of Galilee today, uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Which, when I read this, I can't help but think like, it kind of reminds me of when I try to tell my wife like how to cook better because she does all the cooking and I don't know how 
uh, to cook. So, so who is this man, this carpenter-turned-religious leader who, seemed, who has the audacity to tell professional, professional fishermen how to do their job? Well, surprisingly, Simon answered. Simon is also, we're also referring to Peter here. Uh, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. Night is when you fish. Now it's during the day. They didn't catch anything when the fish were biting, so what makes them think that they're going to catch anything when the fish aren't supposed to bite? But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You know, I think part of the reason why Luke would have included this story was, for one, to provide this origin story, uh, especially for for Peter. Now, we don't have the origin stories for all of the disciples. A number of the disciples we know very little about other than their name. Uh, But I think part of it was to just kind of give origin stories to uh, this story pretty significant uh, disciple. Uh, but I think, I think more than just telling the story, I, what, what Luke includes this to help us see what Jesus looks for in a disciple, what God looks for in a follower. He shows us the most important characteristic, and that characteristic that we're going to focus on today is humility. Humility is like the base layer for a relationship with God. This is why God elevates humility as a characteristic, a characteristic of his people throughout the Old Testament as he speaks of, of the Israelites and through the New Testament as he refers to the church. For instance, just let's peruse a little bit. God says that through the prophet Isaiah, he says, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. He doesn't say the intelligent, the strong, the, the, the people who work really hard knowing he says the humble I will I, I look on with favor to the Israelites God says if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin James tells the church he says humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up he also warns what happens if they don't he says that the he said God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble so those who, who lower themselves God will lift up, and those who try to elevate themselves, that's not going to go so well for them. But, but not only does God expect humility from his followers, he also demonstrates it in his life. Uh, uh, Philippians 2, in that chapter, you'll find what looks kind of like a poem. It's more than a poem. It is the oldest Christian creed uh, that we are currently aware of. And in that creed, it says, And being found in appearance of man, he, that is Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So his death was an act of humility, but it was more than just his death. Even his life was an act of humility. When he called people to himself, he said, I am gentle and humble in heart. And he came as a king, yet he said, I am among you as one who serves. 
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, and he shared a meal with his disciples during Passover, the event which we model the communion after, which we, cel- we will celebrate next week. Before that whole event starts, he starts the night by washing his disciples' feet. That was the responsibility of the lowest servant in the room. And Jesus willingly knelt down and took care of it himself. Humility is a Christ-like trait. And we are called to be Christ-like. So why would God value humility so highly? Because, you know, I think you could make an argument that a little bit of pride might actually go a long way, right? Some prideful followers might get the word out a little faster. So, but why does Jesus, why, why, does, why does God, why does our triune God say that, that humility is the highest value, is something he looks for in his disciples, in his followers? Well, I'll tell you how I learned it, okay? Uh, I'll start with that at least. A mentor of mine when I was just starting seminary, so this was like over, over, ten, well, over 10 years ago now, uh, and um, I had this mentor who taught me a lot about humility. And I think the reason he taught me a lot about humility was because I didn't have any humility. Uh, I went to seminary, not to go to seminary, I went to get a degree to move on to what I thought were better things. I was an awful student. It's not because I wasn't smart, I just didn't care because I didn't, I, I cared about what I was going to do after that. I was too cool for school, too cool for my classmates, too cool for professors and, and, and all of that when I started, again, when I started. Because for me, all that mattered was graduating, becoming a pastor, and starting a church. I want to start a church from scratch. Now, you've got to be crazy and bold to start a church on your own, but it's a good thing. So it's nothing against church planters, but here's the problem. I wanted to start the church because I looked around at all the other churches and I said, these are awful. They're all broken and wrong and the, you know, this and that. All I saw were problems in the church. And I realized oh, I was there to create the perfect church. I was going to start my own church. It was going to be perfect. It was going to be, di- it was going to be dialed in. Here, it went so far. Again, as I can look back and look at myself and look at what I really thought, I thought the world needed me. The world needed me to start a church. God needed me to start this church. That's basically the working definition of religious pride. It's when you believe that God needs you and not the other way around. So I'm thankful, for, I'm thankful for this mentor who was able to call that out in me and, and work through that with me and, and at least kind of get me on the right track. Because at the time, I wasn't even willing to like align myself with another church, one of those inferior churches. I had to start my own. Pride produces, and this is what I was able to find firsthand, pride produces this, this hard shell around you, and it, and it shuts out the voices of everyone and everything around you. All the people who mean to speak into your life and provide good advice and, and coaching and input for you, uh, even God, it, it, it closes all people out. Pride, it, it, like, it closes your ears, but it opens your mouth twice as wide. We stop learning, and humility is a required prerequisite for learning. Because to learn implies there's something you don't know, or there's even something you're wrong about. Now, this kind of all comes full circle when you realize that Jesus is calling Peter, 
And he's calling you and he's calling all the people who follow him to be his disciple. And disciple literally means learner. And you can't be a learner until you acknowledge that you have something to learn. In fact, you have much to learn. And you cannot be ready to to believe and and, and live into uh, having much to learn until you have humility. You will not be able to trust Jesus and lead, to, to trust Jesus and his leading and his teaching until you're humble enough to acknowledge that he has something to offer that you cannot provide yourself. After, um, after Peter and his fellow fishermen used their net in an unconventional way and, and, fought, and, and listened to Jesus as, as Jesus commanded, they were shocked to discover again so many fish, so many that it was, they were ready to, to sink two boats. Uh, Peter responds to Jesus in, in a very odd way, and perhaps it caught your attention the first time. Uh, we're going to read it again here. This is verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, that is the giant catch, uh, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Peter feels unworthy to be around Jesus because of how great Jesus is. I mean, he saw Jesus there on the shore teaching. Clearly, Jesus had some sort of following, if not a small following at the very least, already. People were listening to him. But Peter saw that there was something more to this man than just someone who could speak. And in his response, you, you, hear, you hear some humility, but it's not all humility that you hear. There's something else going on under the surface for, uh, for Peter. And, and I think that, that part of why Peter feels unworthy is because of a, a misconception that was strong back then, and I might argue is maybe no stronger, uh, is just as strong today. Uh, and, and it's something that is that, that hinders, that can stop humble, ready-to-serve Christians in their tracks from serving. Here's what the rumor is. The rumor is that Jesus only works with the pious and the perfect. And so what that does when we buy into that rumor is we establish this pious and perfect bar. How pious and how perfect. How pious and perfect until God will use you. Then you're of use to God. For some of us even, how pious and perfect do I have to be until God will actually love me? And we establish this bar, not because someone tells you here's where the bar is, but often it's established by our own comparison. We see people around us that seem like they're being used by God, that they're gifted in a way beyond their abilities, and God must be using them, and look how perfect and pious they are, so I have to be perfect and pious in order to ride the ride. And, and that's, that's what we do. Usually it's, it's imposed upon us by comparison. This is why, oh, I don't even have time to get into this, but this is why I deleted my, all my social media. I'm, you won't find me on social media. Why? Because all I was doing was comparing myself to other people. I hated myself. I, I hated what I did. I, it, was just, it was awful for me I, because I compared myself to other people's you know, piousness and perfection, and I felt like I never, never stood up to that bar and consequently could never possibly serve the Lord because I wasn't as good as you know, that guy or whatever. Now, for Peter, uh, Peter didn't probably struggle with social media that much, uh, but uh, for him, it would have been the religious teachers who were projecting themselves as elitists 
uh, and, and creating this bar within people. Jesus actually describes how they, how they did this. He, uh, he says, you know, they, they wear these flowing robes to make themselves look better than, than other people. He talks about the way they give. He says that they, they, get, they were extremely generous, but some of them, they would take their, their money and, you know, like dangle it as they brought it to the treasury to give it to God so that everyone would see how generous they were. He talked about how they, how they would fast, right? They would, they would make themselves look more haggard so people would be like, wow, you're fasting. God must love you a lot or whatever. Uh, they did it with prayer. They would get like these, these spots on the corners and, and they would pray aloud and they would, they would have like this, this prayer with all these big words and all these things that just probably weren't natural for them. And, and, but, but in their hearts, they weren't praying to God. They were praying to other people so that they'd walk by and be like, whoa, you know, how spiritual you are or whatever, you know? And they were doing it for themselves and for their own glory. And the thing is, this still happens. In fact, this happens at Rosewood. So if you're new, sorry you didn't come to the perfect church, but this still happens. Here, it happens all over. I'll give you one specific example, okay? And it's not always malicious, and I think that's important to, to note, but it still happens within Christian communities. Now, I'll use myself as an example, and you can confess your own sins. So, for the congregational prayer, that's something that we do here at Rosewood. It's the, it's the prayer that, if you've been around, it's the prayer that happens uh, right before uh, the, the offering. So, you know, today Drew came up and, and prayed, and we were all sitting, right? That's internally what we call the the congregational prayer. If you go to almost pretty much any Christian church this morning, you'd probably encounter some sort of of prayer like that. So when it comes to congregational prayer, when I have to do it, I'm super stressed. I'm more stressed to do a congregational prayer than I am to preach uh, because I feel, and it's mostly imposed on me by myself, uh, by the way, but I feel like it's got to be a really, really good prayer. I feel like it's got to flow. I feel like it's got to have quality content. I feel like it's got to be the right length. I feel like it's got to be better than Pastor Howard's the week before. (laughs) You laugh. Okay, I don't think that. But I do, okay, being honest, like I do sometimes think like, like I think Howard's great at that. Sometimes the way he prays, I'm just like, oh my God, I just love it. And I'll think of that and I'll be like, I could never, I just can't pray like that. And then I'm so self-conscious when I get up here, get up to here to, uh, to pray. And sometimes, so I, I say this because sometimes in our hearts, or again, in, in, in my heart, though I'll, I'll just say that I know I'm not the only one who feels this, that in our hearts we cross the line into pride even with prayer. And I think that we have to those of us, any of us who hold a microphone to pray, have to fight uh, the sin of pride. And sometimes we don't win those battles. And we get caught up having the perfect prayer rather than forgetting that we're talking to a perfect God who loves us as we are and is not, you know, is not impressed when we use a bunch of words that we don't know, but just loves us to come and talk to him as if we are his child. And, and when I forget that, that's sin. But sin always impacts a wider area than we think. I think that a consequence of churches, including Rosewood, of having these 
expectation of a perfect prayer, which again, who sets the expectation? Me, so I acknowledge that, but when we see people come up here and pray and you maybe think they sound really good, you might be left, and I know that some of you are feeling like, I can't pray. There's so many people here and Christians as a whole who don't feel that they can pray aloud, who don't think that they can can pray for another person aloud. They keep it to themselves. We we stick to our we stick stick to our script on our on our on our prayers for for our meals. We don't dare deviate from it because we don't know what to say or how to say it, or more importantly, how to sound good when we do it. And what we do is we set an example that people feel like they can't always achieve. And then as a result, there becomes this pressure, this bar where we have to be so good in order to pray when really it should be the most natural thing. We all, none of us should, in in a perfect world, none of us would struggle to pray aloud as a Christian because we're just talking to our Father who loves us, whether we have a microphone on or whether we're just talking with another person. And this goes, look, this goes beyond just prayer. Okay, you know, maybe you see the kids leaving for to go to kids ministry, and you think, oh, I'd, I'd love to be a teacher. You know, I heard they're looking for new teachers, right? But you think, oh, I'm unqualified. Or you hear, you know, Drew come up and talk about uh, the the student ministry gathering and uh, looking for new leaders to plug into that, and you think, I'm unqualified. I don't I don't know how to do that. And you've already discounted it. You've already decided I'm not going to inquire further. So if this, if you feel like I'm describing you in some way, here's what I would encourage you to do. Take that self-doubt and pray over it. Acknowledge, like Peter, that you don't feel qualified. But then ask God, if you took this step, would he step with you? And as you pray that prayer, If you feel assurance, not in your ability or your experience or your knowledge, but if you feel assurance that God will step with you, take that step. Be bold. Drop your nets. Get out of the boat. Follow Jesus into new territories that you have never been before. Like Peter, let your confession be your resume. Uh, Don't wait uh, for perfection to develop within you. Don't fake perfection because all of that is, is not genuine. In truth, when we have nothing to offer God except our confession of sin and a humility within us to say that, that, that we will be obedient obedient, Jesus will receive all of the glory through your life. In humility, trust God in his power, not yourself for your ability. Jesus was confident in Peter and the disciples, not because of what was within them, not because of their experience, and not because of what he thought they could do on their own but because Jesus was confident of what was inside of him and what he could do with a person who was humble enough to learn and be willing to serve. Let's pray. God, perhaps the greatest act of humility is our salvation, God. We are saved by grace through faith, not of our works, so that any person can boast.
But God, it is you who makes the first move towards us. All of faith should bring us back to humility, should bring us to our knees, should rob us of the pride that tries to break in. So God, thank you for your humility. And thank you that you and your grace has been lavished upon us so that we can have a relationship with you, so that we can find our way back to you and we can have our life with you. And God, I pray that you continue to build within us the humility to be obedient to you, to not settle, not grow comfortable, but to leave our comfort zone, to leave our boats and to follow you, trusting in your ability and your spirit over our own ability and experience. So God, thank you that you take us and gently guide us into this new terrain. That we can see the disciples as our, our guide and our model. Not of men who were perfect, but as men who were far from it. But they were willing. And so Jesus, I pray that that could be our story as well. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.